The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, I'm speaking with Teresa Ish, and she is the program officer of the environmental program at the Walton Family Foundation. So, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me here, Laura. So, before we get started about your role and uh, sustainable fisheries, could you just tell us a, a quick little blurb about the Walton Family Foundation? Yeah, the Walton Family Foundation is a family-directed foundation, and we have three programs, education, the home region, which is Northwest Arkansas, and the environment program, where I sit. And um, our environment program works in the Mississippi River, the Colorado River, and on um, global fisheries, and fisheries focus on Indonesia, Chile, Mexico, Peru, and in the U.S. And I think what's really cool and unique about how we approach our um, environmental work across the environment program is we look for conservation solutions that also work for people, too, because we Mm -hmm. feel like those are the solutions that are most durable when there's something in it for us and some things in it for nature. And um, there's a a quote um, that I really love about not being able to do business on a dead planet. And that is something that we really take to heart and understand that uh, sustainability and a healthy environment are core to our financial well-being as well as our mental well-being and the well-being of the planet. Well, I'm so glad that you're still looking out for people as well as the planet because, you know, we're we're part of the planet and uh, people need to survive and we want to have a good standard of living for everyone, right? So sometimes in the zero waste world, we think, oh, well, let's just get rid of something entirely. But then there's a whole bunch of things, you know, connected to to something like plastic or whatever, right? That That's so important to people and their livelihoods. So uh, it is, it's good to think about those both, I think, planet and and people, for sure. You are in charge of the Sustainable Fisheries Program, is that right? I work on the markets side of our Sustainable Fisheries Program with um, three other amazing colleagues who focus on our in-country work and, and really are seeking to connect those fishing communities and the governments that manage the fisheries, scientists, into the global market and the regional market. And so there's this really nice connection of our in-country work between fishermen and fishing communities, the scientists that we need to provide us the data, the government that we need to help regulate the fisheries and the industry who um, is both investing in and makes money from the fisheries that they work in and brings Mm -hmm. fish to us in the United States. Mm -hmm. I've wanted to do an episode on seafood for so long because I used to be in the Navy and I remember pulling into Seattle and seeing the giant like trolling fishing vessels and just thinking like, oh my gosh, these are like the biggest nets. They have these giant kind of rollers on the back. And so I kind of wonder like how many fish are they taking out and is there bycatch and, you know, who's monitoring to see if they're taking too much or whatever. So um, in in your words, like what what is currently kind of wrong with our worldwide fisheries today? I think where we have a lot of room to improve in fisheries is thinking about 
how we manage them for the long term. There's a lot of research that shows that if you let fisheries recover, you can actually get more fish out of the ocean. We are right now in many fisheries around the world fishing. If you think about fishing like a bank account, we're starting to dip into our capital. And if you really want to keep fisheries sustainable in the long term, what you need to do is you only need to be taking that interest that it generates every year. And when you do that, you can take fish out some more or less indefinitely, sustainably maintain the fishery itself and help maintain the ocean ecosystem. And I think the, there are a number of challenges around the world. You have too many people often chasing too few fish. You have a, a short-term approach and an individual approach to catching fish that doesn't really think about whether or not you're dipping into that capital. And you have a number of governments that just don't have the capacity or have the data that they need to manage fisheries sustainably. Mm -hmm. And so the work that we do is really focused on trying to bring those partners, um, the fishermen whose actions are um, not necessarily ill-intentioned, but are the ones that are, they're the ones that are removing the fish themselves. So they need to know the rules and they need to follow them and help set them. We need to work with governments who are responsible for managing the fisheries, the scientists who are collecting the data, and the industry who is reliant on a healthy fish, stock, uh, fish population in order to continue to have a seafood business. And so we all need to be partners in that, along with the conservation groups um, where we work. And it's really interesting because we are seeing more fisheries recovering from overfishing, but those tend to be in places where um, you have this partnership between government, fishermen, scientists, and the industry. It's in places where we don't have that alignment or don't have that capacity that we continue to see fisheries declining. And we wanna figure out how to address those issues in a way that's just and equitable and better for the fisheries and the fishing communities in the long run. So is there no international kind of body that's monitoring fisheries? Not really. Every country sort of controls its own slice of the ocean. And there are fisheries that are outside of that slice. I mean, as a former Navy service person, you are familiar with the exclusive economic zone. Economic is, zone. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. it's the area that each country is responsible for managing. That leaves a lot of oceans uncovered. And you do have some bodies that are responsible for for managing outside of those, um, and they're consensus-driven. And you know, most of the diversity and the richness in our ocean is close to shore, and so it really does fall on individual countries to do that work. And I think where where things start getting really complicated is fish don't follow geographic borders. Um, fish will move between mm -hmm. one country's easy into another, and so it really does require partnership and collaboration between countries and, and climate change and, and fish moving up and down the coast is going to make that even more critical in the future. So fish are more inclined to stay near the shore than like out in the middle of the ocean? Most fish, yeah. I mean, that's where the mm. environment is richer. There's more food, there's more light, there's more, um, mm. just a bigger diversity of, of species. To be sure, the open ocean is full of really both ecologically and um, economically important fish. I mean, most of the tuna, or not most, a, a lot of tuna is caught in the open ocean, and there are other fish like 
sharks or swordfish or mahi-mahi, other, other commercially important fish that are in the open ocean. But the, the real diversity in our ocean and the real productive areas in the ocean are those that are closer to shore. Are those fish all okay to eat? Like I've heard things about swordfish and tuna. Like are those populations okay? In terms of sustainability, uh, yeah. I think it really is, it, it is a mixed bag. We are seeing a lot of tuna fisheries, primarily um, the nets, the Persane tuna fisheries become certified by the Marine Stewardship Council as, as being a sustainable choice. And that has really come about from some major changes that the industry has taken on, as well as collaboration between, again, industry, scientists, governments and uh, fishing vessel owners. That doesn't mean that they're, that they're perfect. There's always improvements that can be made, but the MSC, Marine Stewardship Council, which is a little blue label that you can see on fish mm-hmm. um, and, and cans of fish in particular in the case of tuna, those fisheries that have earned the MSC logo are good representatives of how to effectively manage uh, a fishery. And I think it's really exciting to see so much tuna a canned tuna especially get certified because it it is one of those species that has to be managed collaboratively between different countries and between different stakeholders. So, of course, I watched a documentary and I didn't want to eat seafood too much anymore. And I really miss sushi for a long time. I've been eating sushi since I was 15. And uh, so are there like certain brands of fish like, you know, salmon and uh, tuna and that sort of thing that are kind of fine to eat when you go to sushi? Because we don't, we aren't able to see those labels, I guess, which is tricky. Yeah. And um, my recommendation would be when you go out to eat, you should ask. Uh, I think um, sushi restaurants, there are clearly some um, that have stated commitments to sustainable seafood. But I, I think for independently owned restaurants, especially, they want to hear from their consumers and their, their um, patrons that they care about sustainability. And I think the most important thing that any of us can do is ask our retailers or our restaurants if they are sourcing sustainable seafood. And if they're not, ask them to. And if they are, thank them and recognize that their business decisions and investment in supporting a healthy ocean are, are valued by you. Uh, it makes me sad when I hear people say that they are concerned about eating fish because of sustainability, because I think about the other foods that we eat and our other protein choices and, and seafood, especially well-managed sustainable seafood, is such a great option for your health, for the environment, for the companies that are really investing in sustainability. It really is a great Option. And so I, I would hate for people to be scared off of seafood broadly, but I also am really asking people to be engaged consumers and to ask about sustainability and, and show that they care about sustainability. Mm-hmm. And to bring it back to the theme of our show, of course, with waste. Uh, so I can get fish sometimes at the grocery store if we get it because um, I have a son and, and he likes to eat fish. And I think it's very good for, for kids, growing kids. Yeah. And uh, we get it in our own containers. So I bring a, I mean, not now during COVID, but normally <laughs> I bring a big glass container and they just put the fish in there and put the sticker on and away we go. So it's kind of nice to do it that way. But again, just to relate relate everything to waste, is bycatch a really big issue that you tend to focus on or, or work with? Or is there like a lot of waste 
in the fishing industry kind of afterward? Like, do you know if grocery stores are throwing it out if they can't sell it? Or like in terms of waste, uh, what do you know about the fisheries? Yeah. um, So I think of waste in a few different ways for fisheries. I think you're absolutely right. Bycatch and unintended catch is hugely wasteful. And it also potentially threatens marine ecosystems. I think how it's viewed as waste really varies based on where you are. The vast majority of fishing happens in the developing world, and there are millions of small-scale fishermen. And those fishers often use their unintended catch to um, feed their families. So it's not wasted per se, but it's also not well-managed. And so figuring out how we ensure that those bycatch species are also sustainable um, and and well-managed is is something that is an ongoing challenge. The other place where we see waste is in the catch before it enters the supply chain. So fish that doesn't make it through processing, fish that goes bad before it's able to um, make it into refrigeration and freezing and processing. And so there is a real opportunity to help, especially in these small-scale fishing communities to treat their catch better. And we have this amazing partner in Mexico. It's a company called Smart Catch and an NGO as well. And they realized that some of the fishermen that they were working with were getting less per pound for their fish than they were getting for dirty PET bottles for recycling because the quality was so low and so much of it had to get thrown out. And so they worked with these fishermen to help improve their sustainability practices, their catching practices so that the fish were treated better, and then also their icing and refrigeration so that the quality of fish were better. And they significantly improved the prices that the fishermen were getting they reduced the amount that the fishermen had to take out of the ocean, and they started to deliver the sustainability message to markets in Mexico. So it's this really exciting confluence of addressing some waste, getting their pricing, and also starting to build this brand for sustainability. And then I think the last place to really think about waste is then what happens at the end. Um, I think we're all very well-intentioned when we buy when we buy fish or even you know other foods and don't get around to cooking it or, or get nervous about cooking it and fortunately for us there's some great resources now online especially now with a lot of chefs trying to keep themselves busy during um, the covid crisis but there are lots of ways to learn to cook new fish and i encourage people to experiment with species they haven't tried before and make sure they cook it and and enjoy it and eat it and you know, you can reduce waste on the con- on the consumer end as well. Yeah. So usually we get trout, which obviously isn't an ocean fish. Uh, and I remember a family one time being like, oh, you can't eat fish the second day. And we do all the time. So we'll cook a trout. And then if there's a little bit left over, I'll put it in a container and then mix it the next day with like some yogurt or mayo or if mix it with something and some salt and pepper, maybe some lemon. And then I put it on a sandwich uh, for my son for for the yeah. next day. And I, I don't think there's really any issue with that. I don't know why people thought there was. I think uh, there are quite a bit of unknowns about the the time it takes for your fish to get from you know the boat or in the case of trout the net pen or the or the the lake to your plate and so I I would instead really rely on sort of your sense of smell and and talking to a trusted fishmonger you know talk to the the people at the seafood counter at your grocery store it's a great opportunity 
to learn about new things, to learn about how fresh the fish is, and also to have a conversation about sustainability. Absolutely. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, the Pike Place Market. Have you been there in Seattle? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, throw the fish and then they've got like some sort of like fish that is fake and it's like on a string and so the guy pulls it and <laughs> it scares everyone it scared me i screamed <laughs> yeah playing with your food's not bad all the time um i also <laughs> use this though as an opportunity to really plug um frozen fish i think a lot of people have shied away from it for a really long time but freezing technology has improved substantially mm. and that fish has a longer shelf life. In many cases, it's better quality because it's frozen right away and that freshness is locked in early on. But um, I think people should be excited about trying um, frozen fish as well as both a way to reduce waste. You can also reduce your carbon footprint because it can be trucked instead of flown and you get a really high quality fish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the, the Walton family supports like a number of, uh, of seafood projects. And I think one is the seafood nutrition partnership. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We are working with the seafood nutrition partnership on a project called Eat Seafood America. And we decided to support them with, on this project for a couple of reasons. One is seafood is a healthy, sustainable choice. Well, sustainably managed fisheries are a a healthy and great environmental choice, because I think that is how most of us connect to the ocean. I mean, I live in Denver. I I am a former coastal person, but my connection to the ocean these days, especially without travel, is typically through the fish that we eat. So that's one issue. The other is right now in the U.S., most seafood is consumed in restaurants. And with restaurants shut down, the fisheries that supply those restaurants are really financially hurting. And that includes a lot of sustainably minded U.S. fishermen, fishermen who have worked really hard to make their fisheries some of the most sustainable in the world. And they've essentially seen their markets shut down overnight. And so we wanted to partner with SNP in order to encourage Americans to get comfortable buying fish at the grocery store, eating more seafood, understanding why sustainability is important, and trying to connect back to those fishermen that are producing their food, U.S. fishermen and international fishermen who are, who are trying to produce food in a sustainable way for those of us who really enjoy seafood. So if you would eat it at a restaurant before, try cooking it at home now. And again, um, SNP, Seafood Nutrition Partnership, has some great resources on how to cook new fish or try new recipes. So it's a small thing that we can try to do to to get seafood on more people's plates. Mm-hmm. And the Eat Seafood America campaign, so that's part of the Seafood Nutrition Partnership? Yeah, they're running that campaign right now with a number of both NGO conservation groups, as well as fishing organizations to try to, again, promote those um, sustainable fishermen who have been great partners for us in helping us protect the ocean and protect um, healthy fish populations. Oh, that's cool. So I remember seeing the news a few weeks ago that Canada is having a problem with their lobster. They have so many lobsters somewhere in New Brunswick, and they had to start hiring teenagers because, you know, with the borders closed, I guess it was hard to get the normal temporary foreign workers to come in to process the lobster. And then same thing, like, I think probably lobsters eaten way more at restaurants than at home. So yeah, it's it's been a, a big kind of backlog of lobster. So it's interesting to see how COVID has kind of 
changed everything. And you know what? I, I know a lot of vegans listen to the show. And I think if you're going to kill something to eat it, uh, <laughs> that, you know, it, waste is just the worst. Um, you yeah. know, I, I try not to throw any meat at all. Luckily, I have a dog that would eat any any sort of scraps left over or anything. But yeah, I I feel very sad when I see any form of meat at all go in the garbage. Um, it just seems like the worst form of waste, you know? So yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. And again, I think that's why there are some real advantages to thinking about high quality frozen fish, because I mm -hmm. think you can manage that a little bit better, you know, not letting it go yeah. bad in your fridge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are cultures around the world who are so dependent on the ocean and so many of our big cities are on the ocean. And so seafood is just such a big part of, you know, the planet and, and, you know, billions of people's lives. So it's important to talk about this stuff, I think. And to remember that even if you don't eat fish, uh, there are, I, don't, I would say billions of people eat fish. Is, that would be correct, do you think? Yeah. And in fact, for close to a billion people, uh, it is the primary source of protein. Um, oh, wow. I think for small coastal communities, I mean, again, think about Indonesia. It's a country of made up of 10,000 islands. And for most, for many of the people living in remote islands, the ocean is the easiest place to source food, to get food. Artisanal fishing is very low investment. So you need a boat and a net or a pole. And sometimes even not even a boat, you walk out into the reef. And so it really is critically important for food security for much of the developing world. It's also a really important source of nutrients because fish is so nutrient rich. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is, again, why there's a moral imperative to manage fisheries sustainably, because it's not just about us wanting to, in, in the United States, to have sustainable fish for us to eat, but it's also understanding that the, it's one ocean. And so the fish that we eat is tied directly to these coastal communities that rely on the ocean for food. And we have somewhat of an obligation to also make sure that they are able to access the um, fisheries resources that they need for their own families, for their own livelihoods, and for their own sort of food security and nutritional needs, as well as ourselves accessing um, sustainable seafood that's you know, a great source of protein, delicious, good for the planet, relative to um, most other animal proteins. Mm -hmm. We focus on the sustainability of the fisheries first and foremost, mm -hmm. and that is because outside of climate change, fishing is the biggest threat to the ocean. Um, most of the activities that lead to pollution in the ocean are activities that happen on land. Mm -hmm. And part of the attraction of working on fisheries is not just the social and the environmental aspect of it, but the fact that it's a solvable problem. We have great models where we know how to manage fisheries for sustainability. And so we can use those models and try to replicate those models around the world to help use sustainable fisheries to make a healthier ocean. Mm -hmm. And that in turn makes those, the ocean more resilient to some of those other stressors that we're talking about, whether it's climate change or pollution that originates on land, a, a healthy ecosystem will be able to withstand those stresses better. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I did want to ask you about mislabeling. Do you know anything about that? Because I know in Canada, it seems to be this kind of big issue where fish is coming in and they just pretend it's some other fish. And I think that might be causing problems for like quotas and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I think there is definitely accidental mislabeling. Sometimes when you have a fillet of whitefish, it's really hard to tell what it is. But I also think there's intentional mislabeling. And that could be to sell a lower priced fish as a higher priced fish, to sell a fish that maybe is unsustainable as a sustainable fish. And this is one of the reasons why the foundation really believes that traceability from the source of the fish to the endpoint uh, where it's sold is really important. And that um, companies, seafood companies should be tracking their fish so they can verify where it comes from and that it was it is what it says it is, and it was produced in a way that is sustainable. Traceability just moves information. So, you know, getting good information in is really important. And so another thing that we work on to ensure that there's good information in is electronic monitoring on boats so that wow. the boats that they're out, when they're out fishing, you know what kind of bycatch they catch, what fish are they catching, how much are they catching, and you can really use that data to manage fisheries well and manage them more efficiently than we could in an era before this technology. But that has to come from willingness of the companies to provide that information and to uh, implement traceability. And some of that can come from consumers asking for traceability and wanting to know where their fish comes from. So is that type of technology that's on the boats, is that how the annual limits are determined? Like are scientists taking that data and being like, this fish population might be in trouble or something? That's part of it. That's one That's one data point. Um, another one would be from surveys and that the scientists do independent of the fishing industry. And I think one of the concerns that we have right now during COVID is that a number of fishing management agencies around the world, not just in the United States, are waiving the requirements right now for having humans on board doing that observation. And what we're really hoping is that they will encourage the use of electronic monitoring instead of human monitoring. So we have some information on um, what's happening on the water. We're quite concerned that if we have no information coming in this year on what's being caught or how much fish are in the ocean, it's going to be really hard to manage it, uh, manage these fisheries well going forward, or it may create a window for a lot of that monitoring to stop. And so um, the fishermen that we work with are asking for more electronic monitoring so that they can go out and fish and fish sustainably and provide their data to the, um, to the science bodies who help manage fisheries. And we're also encouraging some of our partners in the industry to request that governments continue to require electronic monitoring and, and don't waive this coverage um, as an issue of convenience. Um, waive human observers to keep fishermen and, and the observers safe right now, but use this as an opportunity to encourage um, more electronic monitoring on fishing boats. We're almost out of time, but Teresa, I just wanted to ask you, like, what got you into sustainability and your interests in fisheries? I uh, started surfing and decided that I would go into a job that would keep me near the ocean. And oh, that awesome. I have utterly failed at living in Denver. Not a lot of surfing in Denver. Um, <laughs> maybe a few million years ago, but not now. Um, but uh, it really made me love the ocean. And my 
my grandfather and my father were recreational fishermen. My whole childhood, I can remember my grandfather fishing and the boat would bring him on to sort of prove that uh, if people didn't catch anything, it wasn't the boat's fault because he would always catch a ton of fish. And while I was studying fisheries is when the um, West Coast groundfish fishery, the rockfish fishery collapsed. And that was the fishery that my grandfather really loved. And my dad decided that he could no longer go fishing for rockfish, even recreationally. And I really love the fact that that fishery has completely rebounded and recovered. And rockfish on the West Coast of the U.S. is such a great sustainable choice. And it's just got like memories of my childhood when I eat it now. And and again, that opportunity to see something, an environmental problem improve in your lifetime. There aren't a lot of things that we can point to. And so I, I feel like working in fisheries and sustainable seafood is a really hopeful environmental discipline because we know where it works and we know what we need to do to solve the problem. It's not as intractable as a lot of other environmental problems feel. Wow, that's really inspiring to hear about. And I'm I'm glad that you moved into a passion uh, because I guess that's a bit of an American dream, I guess. If you're really passionate yeah, about yeah. something, you can work in that field. And it's amazing to work in sustainability because I think you know, if if younger listeners are out there wondering what you're going to do after university and stuff, um, it's nice to hear from people like you who have created that career path and and done well at it. So uh, thank you very much, Teresa. It's just been a pleasure speaking with you about this. Yeah, thank you, Laura, for your interest. Um, I love talking about fish. So anytime. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I'm so glad that we got to do an episode about this because I had so many questions. And if we want to find out more information, is the best place to go like the Walton Family Foundation dot, is it dot com or dot org? I can't remember. Um, dot org. Yeah. So for more about our programs, um, you can go to waltonfamilyfoundation.org. I would also, if you just want to learn about sustainable seafood generally, you can go to solutionsforseafood.org. And you'll also be able to get connected to a lot of the conservation organizations working on sustainable seafood in the U.S. and abroad. Awesome. Well, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Teresa Ish. She's the program officer of the Environment Program at the Walton Family Foundation. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.